Israel was at Mount Sinai. Moses was with God on the mountain representing Israel. Yahweh had said, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you will be my treasured possession among all peoples, for the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And the people answered together and said, all that Yahweh has spoken we will do. And Moses reported to the words of the people to Yahweh. Thus we have all elements of a biblical contract or covenant, including the offer, the acceptance, and the notification of acceptance. Now to the first three terms of the covenant in Exodus 20, verses 1 through 7. And God spoke these words, saying, I am Yahweh, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the hand house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, Yahweh, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of, the, of Yahweh, your God, in vain, for Yahweh will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. May God bless these words. You may be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we begin the message this morning. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. We thank you that we're able to be here. I know that a number of us are, are missing because of travel, because of sickness, and we just thank you that of those that could be here and ask that you would uh, bring those that are, miss, are, are traveling home safely and those that are out because they're sick to allow them to heal. Father, this has been a busy week. This, we have Christmas ahead of us tomorrow, and there's tempting to allow much to distract us on our minds today. I pray that you would allow us to, to listen in to your message, that we would gain that which you intend from it, and that we would go out from here a transformed people. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, <clears throat> some of you could tell from the, where we are in, in the reading that in the Reformed faith, if you're not from the Reformed faith, um, on Christmas we don't do Christmas in, uh, uh, at the regular service. When we do have a Christmas Eve service that we'll, we all tend to this evening. But this message is in keeping with where we are in Exodus. And it's ironic that we happen to be in the law on, on uh, Christmas Eve. But we are. And it's interesting because even when I say law, even my voice inflection right there some, sounded almost like it was apologetic. The law in, in the eyes of the Israelites is something that they loved. It's what David wrote the, the longest psalm about and how much he cherished it. It's something that is good and gracious from God's hand. It is a blessing unto us. But with that, those, those kind words of encouragement as you're about to hear about the law, let's go ahead and, and, and look at the, the name of this or the title of this message is Made in His Image to Carry His Name. Now that might be confusing. You might be going, what are you getting at here? Well, let me, let me just read to you again just the third commandment. 
The third commandment, which was read by uh, uh, just a minute ago uh, by Jamie, uh, is from Exodus 20, verse 7. It says this, You shall not take the name of Yahweh your God in vain. As you hear that, what do you think of immediately? Oh, that means that I, uh, that I and then you apply it some way in your mind. Most of us have grown up, or, or now as adults, you've, been, you've experienced this, you're a newer Christian, may think of this in terms of speech. Don't be flippant with the Lord's word, our name. Certainly, don't use the Lord's name as a cuss word. No cursing the Lord's name. Or some of you may have even heard it extended a little bit further and saying, well, this means no making any false oaths. Whatever you speak, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And you'll notice that all three of those examples are speech-related. What I am suggesting today, the proposition I'm putting before you, is that the third commandment, which might seem like a quick jump over, yeah, yeah, I got that. I don't know what to do that. Yeah, I know saying that word is bad. Oh, it's actually very involved, and it's much broader than speech. Are the three issues I talked about it uh, contained within it? Yes. But that's not the focus. There's a much broader focus at work here. Let us go back to the garden. Whose name did Adam and Eve carry or bear? I'm purposely using different words, different verbs than take. Whose name did Adam and Eve bear or carry when they chose to sin by taking from the tree, the fruit of the tree of good and evil? Whose name did they carry? Well, let me run some things past you. They trusted Satan's word over God's. They called good evil and evil good, just like Satan does. They caused themselves to be alienated from God. They had to be moved out of the garden. They shifted in the moment their allegiance from God and what he had instructed and gave it to Satan. And the one we recognize from Romans is that they became, at least in the moment, enemies of God, just like Satan. So when you total that sum up, they were carrying or bearing, at least functionally, the name of, God, excuse me, of Satan over God. So what is this, this whole name thing? What does it mean to functionally carry someone's name. Well, let, let me just step back a second and let's talk about because each one of the, particularly the first four commandments, which are all related to God, are intertwined. If you come cold and try and take one on, you're going to miss the context. And I will even share with you, if you don't pull in what's being talked about in, in chapter 19, and dealing with chapter 20, man, you're going to miss. And it's going to be very legalistic. And there's going to be a disconnect with what God is graciously doing in giving the law. The first commandment was this. Yahweh identified himself as the exclusive God of his covenant people and said, you have no other gods. Now, you might say, well, that's, you know, that's kind of. You're pretty big about your riches here. You really? No, no others? The whole ancient Near East had other gods. He had just gotten done in chapters 1 through 18, destroying 
the false gods, the fallen angels of the Egyptian superpower that had them in complete bondage or slavery. So he bases, I'm it, because I just demonstrated that there are no other true gods. They are all false gods. They are created angelic beings that portray themselves to be gods, but are no gods. And therefore, I am your redeemer. Because I am your redeemer, worship only me. And you go, oh, that, that makes total sense. That's an attitude of, of, of gratitude, if you will. And then he says, oh, and by the way, I know the whole ancient Near East, everyone else on the planet uses idols, carved images of their divine being, their false gods. You don't do that. You don't do that with me. You will not ever be allowed to have that, a, a carved image of another god in my presence or worship that, thinking somehow you are worshiping me. That's number two. Well, now he gets to number three, and it's kind of an explanation of number two. It's so interrelated to it. What we see here in the third commandment is there's a role identified. We are called to be God's physical representatives before the pagan nations. Now, let me just say it a little, let me change the wording on that. Particular to Israel, the covenant people at that time, they were before. We're going to see that changed as it relates to us. You're going to see we are not the, the uh, we're not called to carry the name before so much as the focus is to. And we're going to, we're going to take a look at why, Nick, why are you getting, making a big deal uh, before versus two? Well, that's going to bear itself out. We'll see that Israel, who is, remember, way back in uh, um, the fourth chapter of Israel, I think it's 422, um, God refers to Israel as his, we're talking about a nation, but he refers to him as his son. The whole nation is considered to be his son. They are supposed to bear this name of Yahweh, their redeemer, but they fail. But the good news is, is that there would be one that would come, and his name is Jesus Christ, who would perfectly bear the name, and there are benefits from him bearing the name that we will talk about today. As you look at your bulletin, you'll notice the takeaway is this. I've written right below the title, Made in His Image to Carry His Name. The takeaway is this. Jesus perfectly carried the name of Yahweh, and through his Toning death, you'll notice today that I prayed for the global church to hold on to the gospel that says that Jesus Christ's death was an atoning death. They even changed hymns today to remove that because that somehow is, a, is offensive. Jesus Christ's death was in our stead. He took our place on the cross so that we could be redeemed we could have a reconciled relationship back to God so we we need to understand that 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 truth let me start to take away again Jesus perfectly carried the name of Jesus and through his atoning death we're reconciled back to God made it possible for us to effectively that's going to play an important role in 20 verse 7 today effectively carry the name of Yahweh you and I to the pagan nations, the, the Hebrew people before 
the pagan nations. So I told you last week that we are going to deal with something. I pushed it to, to this week, and that was the issue of making idols of our true God, Yahweh. And I said last week, hey, this, really is, this issue gets taken up in some of the confessions, the Westminster Confession in particular, in, in uh uh, it's a second commandment because they see it dealing with idols, so they bring that up and say, make no idols of, of God um, as well. Not only the idols of the false gods, but idols of God. I'm suggesting it's better to bring it up now today because the second commandment only deals with the, the idols of the, of the false gods. The third commandment says, hey, wait a second. We got you, human beings. You are the physical representative of the invisible God in the physical world he created. Therefore, no duh, you don't create, you do not make an idol based on uh, uh, command number three because you human beings are my physical representation and you're not to be worshiped, although we struggle with that at times, we worshiping ourselves, they're not, mankind is not to be worshipped. Mankind is supposed to, first and foremost, image God, but he's also supposed to carry the name of God unto those that do not know him. So the, the argument there is, yeah, we would easily agree with, you do not make idols. Nothing can be carved that would that, that would have any ability to reflect who God is, or who Yahweh is. So don't make an idol and stick it on and wherever you stick it and worship it or, or use it to help you in worship. No, we don't do that. Now, there's a, there's a part two. Can you use the image of, of Christ in particular in your Sunday school material? Can you have artwork? Can you have on the wall a picture of the, the Sermon on the Mount, and Je Jesus, a picture of Jesus giving the Sermon on the Mount, and below him are the, are the disciples that are listening. Is that sin to have that? And I, I, to you, I answer this back, and, and this is in consensus with the other elders, that maybe. You go, well, that's really good, you're Mr. Attorney. You gave me a maybe. Well, here's the maybe. If you find it to be a stumbling block, if you think it is sin to have that, then according to Romans 14, it is sin. So then, in that case, you don't. However, if you find the material as it relates to, let's say, Sunday school material, to be helpful in teaching a truth, a biblical truth, then it's not sinful. If you find artwork demonstrates a deepening of your appreciation of God, and you're not worshiping it, then it's not sin. Again, back to Romans 14, and this is what's key for us. We have people in this church that believe that it is sin to have uh, Sunday school or any teaching curriculum, to have any artwork, to see a movie that has a character portraying Jesus. And because of Romans 14, we know how to handle this. We give up our liberty so as not to cause someone else to, to stumble to not cause them to feel awkward about this. So that's where we land on that issue as a church. And so that aside, we can dig into...
the, the sermon itself. And if you'll do me a favor, take a look at that insert in your bulletin. This is the longest insert that I've ever produced. I hope it's, it's helpful. What I'm trying to teach is easier to show you visually than to teach it just verbally. Take a look at this. On the top, it says across the top, made in his image to carry his name. And then underneath there, in bracketed, it says the parallel act of being image bearers and carrying the name of Yahweh. Now notice at the top, there's the long green uh, box up there. It says imaging, and notice how everything in that box, all the text is red, because every time you see the word image, it's going to be in red, so you can see a differentiation. Imaging is part of God's eternal design. He, he made us image bearers before the fall. He, he, he made us capable of representing him, who he is in character, to the rest of his creation. So imaging is part of God's eternal design for mankind as his physical image bearers to a physical world. And then go to the very bottom there, below the two columns that run parallel, and it says this. Now, the carrying, anything referencing carrying is in blue font. So again, you see the difference. On the bottom, and the arrows move uh, to the right in both cases because this is a chronological movement waiting until the second coming of, of Christ. Carrying is part of Yahweh's plan of salvation directed towards the pagan nations. So we are all image bearers, but at Sinai, there's an increased understanding of carry the name in such a way that the other nations will know who I am as God. When you carry the name, you carry the fullness of the person. This person is God who can't be seen. You're carrying the fullness of who he is in character by mimicking in your character who he is. Okay, so we see a little bit of a parallel. There's some overlap between imaging and carrying the name. But one is a state of being, imaging, and the other is part of the mission that God came up with to deal with a fallen world. And he starts this in a formal sense, if you will, with his covenant people who started off with Abraham. And then Abraham, he grows up into a large family. He frees them from the bondage of Egypt. They're at Sinai, and they are becoming officially the nation of Israel. It is at this time where they are accepting the stipulations these, what we're reading, these Ten Commandments are part of the stipulations of the covenant that they are given this understanding of this is what you're called to do as my covenant people. So that's what carrying has to deal with. Now, let's start off with the top column. I want you to understand this. We're going, this is called biblical theology. This is the, the big umbrella that covers all of the doctrinal issues that are specific along the way. So first, you have on the left there, Top, top column, made in the image of Yahweh, a state of being, to govern the world as his physical representatives. And that's taken from Genesis 1, 26 and 28, again, before the fall. Now we're going to deal with the fall and, and staying in that same column, top column. Mankind fell to sin by functionally imaging Satan. We walked through that. Satan was granted to be the ruler of this world. We kind of de facto helped him. We stepped out of our role. We were called as, as uh, God's representative to govern. And then when we fell and submitted to Satan, Satan, God allows, grants him to be the, the quasi-ruler. The reason I say quasi-ruler, he can do nothing. 
without the permission of God. Let's continue on. Israel was physically redeemed through the intervening presence of Yahweh. That's what we're dealing with in Exodus. Yahweh has come as the angel of the Lord. And I, for those of you who have been the whole, here the whole time, that angel of the Lord is a title for the second person of the Trinity. So we see that he, the angel of the Lord, the second person of the Trinity, has intervened in the presence of this nation to establish his kingdom in this lost world. But this kingdom that he is, is establishing is a physical kingdom. It's the promised land that has specific borders. He's going to use the blessing he is intending to give his people. You obey me. I take your, the, the promised land that's flowing with milk and honey, and I keep the milk and honey flowing. And the people will come to do commerce with you. They, want, they will want to trade with you. You will be, you will stand before the nations that I will bring into your borders, and you will image, you will carry my name. They will know the God. And why, why this, is this so important? Because the God who is most powerful and gives the greatest blessing in the ancient Near East is the God. So he's going by their obedience to show the rest of the world I am the only true God. All the other gods, you pagan nations, can't do what I do. Can't make the, the milk and honey flow. That's a, that's a, a picture of the, 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 the wealth that they will have. I don't, I, wealth almost sounds dirty in, in our understanding of the, the uh, prosperity gospel. But the, the, there we go. That's the word. I would probably be a better word. They would prosper well in their relationship with God. And they would be blessed and benefited from it. Well, let's continue on. The next category, the next box up top in that column. Israel was given the threefold law, that's what's starting right now, as a gracious act of instruction on how to image Yahweh. Think about this. This is a nation that has been in bondage for 400 years. They've only seen the influence of the, the Egyptian pantheon of gods, all the different gods. They are as confused as confused can be because generation after generation, they, are, they know or they understand or they, they weaken their understanding of who their God is just by way of the time carrying on and the fact that God was not, had for a season given them up to this slavery for a reason. He's allowed the slavery. So he comes back and says, this is how you image me. This is how you carry my name to the other nations, or I should say before the other nations. So we see that happening in Genesis 20 to 40. But now look below that. We're in, uh, right below that in the second parallel column, we finally see the third commandment. It's, an, it's the commandment we're studying today. The third commandment instructs Israel to carry Yahweh's name before the pagan nations in an effective manner. We're going to see that the word vain means ineffective. And so you need to carry it in an effective manner. And we'll see that there's consequences he, he gives to the nation if they don't. And then we move to the next. The next two boxes kind of cover both categories, so I have an elongated boxes. Um, so here we go. Israel chose to worship and therefore image the false gods of their other nations. And we're tempted to go, really? Are you that stupid? You had the God who, who just that showed you all the other gods that were powerless, and you, followed, you try and follow the other gods? And then we go, oh, wait a second, I do that every time I sin. So we don't get down too hard on the, on the Israelites for this, and yet, because we see that it's, it's, it's man is prone to sin. 
They, so in doing so, they defiled Yahweh's name, and because they defiled Yahweh's name, according to Ezekiel 36, 16 to 21, they're exiled. They're out of the promised land. The physical borders, they're not in that land anymore. They are sent to the other countries. They are, they are dispersed. A, a, a single enemy comes in, and then he's going to dispense them to the other you know, geographic areas. And then we move to the right one. But there's a, there's a, some, God was graciously did something, but he graciously did it not for their benefit. He did it for his name's benefit. Watch this in the next box. Israel was restored back to the promised land. God collected them from the various geographical locations. That, now, history has, has changed, and some of these, these geographical locations have changed uh, names of these different nations and whatnot. So he collects them from over the face of the earth. It says uh, Israel was restored back to the promised land by Yahweh. And why does he do it? According to Ezekiel, for his name's sake. But the nation never imaged or carried his name again as originally intended. They just kind of continue to fizzle, if you will, until Christ's return. And that's where we're back up in the top column. We have the intervening presence of Yahweh again. The first time he intervenes, he does a physical deliverance. Second time he intervenes, he's now Christ in, in he's taken on flesh, he's Christ incarnate. He is not dealing, he's not saving them from physical uh, of slavery. He's saving them from uh, the slavery of sin. So we have the intervening presence of Yahweh in Christ offered spiritual redemption to Israel. And Mark 1.15, out of the mouth of Jesus himself, he says, the, the kingdom is at hand, repent and believe. I'm here, the king is here, repent and believe. And then below that, we see this, there's a, there's a pickup now. Wait a second. The fizzle no longer is, is happening. We see that Jesus is dealing with this, this third commandment again. And we see it right here. Jesus instructed his disciples to pray that they may effectively carry Yahweh's name. And that's out of the Lord's Prayer. We saw that a little bit today in, in a, the answer to our catechism question. We're going to talk a little bit more about it. And then going back up to Israel. Israel is on its way out. Israel as a nation rejected Christ as Redeemer, according to Romans 11. And then we see that directly below that, the Gentile believers were grafted into the true vine. Who is the true vine? That's Jesus, uh, making up the vast majority of the church. So now we see this lessening. The Jews are less involved in the church, and now you see the Gentiles becoming more and more involved in the church. And then finally, go to the top, um, the last two boxes, top and bottom, all the way to the right, is Israel's role in producing the re Redeemer, who would perfectly image Yahweh, has been fulfilled. Jesus was a Jewish carpenter. The nation, in that sense, produced a Jewish Messiah. The role of what was expected of the nation was completed by the arrival of Jesus. And then down below, uh, as it dealt with carrying the name, God's kingdom on earth advances by the church, carrying the name according to, there's our, our, instead of before, the Great Commission. I don't know if anyone of you ever realized that the Great Commission has a component of carrying the name of God to the people. And we're going to see that today. All right. So hopefully you can see that. Some of you may be going, Nick, that hurt my head. Why did you even draw that? But hopefully that helped a little bit so you can see it visually. There's running parallel. Imaging God and uh, carrying his name are two parallel com components that have overlap. 
Okay, let's look at our first bullet point today. This is the longest bullet point, and the next two, two are much smaller. We need to explain a little bit. Carrying Yahweh's name before the nations. Nick, why do you keep saying carrying? Why can't we use take? Because I don't think we as Amer English-speaking as Americans, without the context of the Hebrew past, know how to use the word take because we come up with silly understandings that say, don't use it, don't say the Lord's name flippantly, don't, don't say it in a curse word, and don't say it in an oath. And we say, oh, that's the third commandment. No, that's like itty, 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 bitty part of the third commandment. So let's look at this. Exodus 20, verse 7. You shall not nasa is the Greek, excuse me, is the, the English word nasa, which means to lift up, bear, or you keep hearing me use the word carry. Sometimes the NASB will use the word carry, the, the New American Standard Bible. You shall not, you, you, excuse me, you shall not bear or carry the name of Yahweh your God in vain. And vain there is, don't defile the character of God by carrying it in an, an empty or ineffective way. It's supposed to be carried to bring glory to God and to bring a curiosity to be able to lay the foundation for us sharing the truth of who God is, i.e. the gospel. So, and he continues on in this. For, here comes the consequence, Yahweh will not hold him guiltless. He has the, the idea of going unpunished or not receiving discipline. Hello, Christians. We don't get punished as far as we get kicked out of the kingdom because our kingdom is not based on our works. However, if we do not image God as we should image God, there is a consequence and we will receive discipline. And we'll talk about what that discipline is because we know that discipline, hello parents, is a good and godly thing that corrects the wrong behavior in a loving manner so that what's being produced is a child that loves the Lord. At least their hearts are prepared to love the Lord. So we continue on here. Nick, if you're going to use carry, you're going to have to give me something. Great. I'm glad you asked for something to show, that I can show you why we use the word carry. The best hermeneutic, a hermeneutic is just a system of understanding. On understanding what the Bible is, is to find out where is the author used that before or, or uses it again if it's not before. And if you can, you try and stay in the best case, stay in the book. We, Moses wrote the first five books of the, of the Bible, the Torah. And you, I'm thinking, come on, baby, be in there. Be one of them in here. We got to find Nassau and try and understand it. Well, guess what? It's not only in the Torah. It's in our same book, Exodus. And it connects to chapter 19. So we go to Exodus 28. But you're going to see Exodus 28 actually connects back to Exodus 19. So, in Exodus 28, 29, it says this. So Aaron shall bear, notice how it uses the word bear. It means, it could mean take, but I think the better understanding is bear or carry. It says here, so Aaron, Aaron shall bear, Aaron is the high priest. He's the brother of Moses and he's the high priest. Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel on his breastpiece, or some say breastplate, of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before Yahweh. Aaron is instructed by God using Moses as his mouthpiece to say, look, you are to 
carry this breastplate, and on this, he said earlier on this, what the breastplate is supposed to have on it, it has four rows of three. The, each of the three are, the, are, uh, are stones. Every stone is different. It's unique. They're valuable gems, if you will. They're colorful. So we have four, we have three and four rows going down on the, worn on this gold plate, if you will, on his chest. Underneath or on the stone, we don't know which, is the name of each tribe. Here you have the high priest. He wears this into the Yahweh's presence as a reminder, if you will. It's supposed to be a visual for the Hebrew people that Aaron represents all the people, all 12 tribes, nobody's left out. As long as you're a tribe member, you're not, mess you're not left out. So he's a representative of the people before Yahweh, but there's a second part. In verses 36, still saying same chapter, 28, in verses 36 to 38, Aaron is also told to not only, not, uh, he's not only not sawing, he's not only carrying the breastplate, he carries a nameplate on his forehead. It's attached to his, uh, his uh, turban. I couldn't think of the name of it, the headpiece. It's attached to the turban and it hangs down right over his forehead. And what does it say on that nameplate? It says, Kodesh la Yahweh. Kodesh la Yahweh. Do you hear? I, every time we, we say Yahweh, the elders, when we share it up here or anyone reading, we take all capitals Lord and we give it its Hebrew name of Yahweh. What it actually says is holy, belonging to Yahweh. That's what he wears up there. Now, I want you to think about this. If you're a parent or you ever were a kid and you were in school, on your backpack, you probably, if it was a Smith family, you got somewhere on there, on the backpack, it said Smith. So when young man Smith, one of the Smith boys, chucks his backpack and it gets stuck in a pack of all the other backpacks, and it's just a black, nameless black, or I shouldn't say nameless, it just kind of fits in, they would know, that, oh, that one's mine, it has my last name on it. What's happening? What is God doing with the, with the gold nameplate? He's saying, set apart belonging to me. This one is my high priest. He belongs to me. And it really, he means to all the priests. They are mine. They exclusively minister to me. No other God. There is that, that possession. And it's a royal possession because God is our king. It's a beautiful picture. But there's also another time that it, Nassau is used. Nassau is used to give this understanding that as the, the, the high priest, as Aaron, goes into the Holy of Holies, he's, he, why he's performing the sacrifice, that the sacrifice is the picture of he kills the animal instead of the human beings that sinned, and the animal's blood... The death of the animal represents the death. They paid the punishment in the stead of the people. That's what's happening in the Old Testament in the tabernacle. Well, it says that Aaron nasaws the guilt of the people while he's performing that. He carries the guilt. I couldn't help but think of Christ on the cross. He nasawed our guilt. He, he had it on his shoulders, if you will, metaphorically speaking. That's, this image in the Old Testament is portraying or foreshadowing that which Christ would do. But you get the idea. If, if this suit were a priest's suit, I would be walking around 
with the, with the gold uh, nameplate, if you will, belonging to, to Yahweh on my forehead, and I would be carrying on my clothing this nameplate this, on my priestly garments that says that everyone, I represent both the people and I represent Yahweh, and I perform the acts that, of sacrifice that allows a reconciliation for God still to be in communication, in relationship with his people. So it's a, a beautiful picture. Well, if you understand that that's the key hermeneutic, that's the key to understanding what's going on in, uh, in uh, the third commandment, then you realize this. Listen to this. As, and um, Jamie read it. I'm going to read it again. Um, this is Exodus 19, 5 through 6a. This is God before he gives the Ten Commandments. Just one chapter back. He says this. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession. Oh, you get it now. You mean it's like, like eyewear? Kind of metaphorically, like an invisible? I can remember as a kid, you'd, you'd, get the, you'd go to the rollerblade. Not rollerblade, it wasn't those. Roller skate park. And you'd get the, the mark on your, your hand or, or whatever it is, and no one could see it unless you put a black light on it. And then all of a sudden it was visible. That's kind of what's going on here. There is that picture that we don't actually wear the nameplate, but we have that name stamped on us holy because we are his treasure pre uh, possession. We are set apart as his. Listen to this. You are my treasured possession among the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Holy means set apart. So wait a second. Not only does the... The priest, the, the uh, high priest, is he a, a treasured possession? But he also, we, you and me also are treasured possessions because God considers us a priest or a nation of, hold, of, of priests, a nation that is set aside, a people, a kingdom, if you will. So you sit there and you go, okay, I'm starting to see the connection. A priest acts on behalf of the people, and he acts on behalf of the God. We as priests, we'll see in, the third, in this, in this uh, third commandment, we are called to carry the name of God. They, will be, they were called to carry it before the other nations. We are called to, to carry it to the other nations. And we have to carry it in a way that doesn't defile his name. Well, let's continue on. Let's look at the profaning, point number two, profaning Yahweh's name before the nations. Let me just read to you because I'm going to, to read and give an editorial as I read along. Ezekiel 36, 16 to 28, it says this. Ezekiel 36, 16 to 28. The word of Yahweh came to me, son of man. When the house of Israel lived in their own land, they defiled it by their ways and their deeds. Their ways before me were like the uncleanness of a woman in menstrual impurity. So I poured out my wrath upon them. They received punishment. Remember, it was told to them in the third commandment. You carry this lightly. You carry this ineffectively. You carry this flippantly. You will receive my, they receive punishment. So I poured out my wrath upon them for the blood that they had shed in the land. For the idols which they had defiled, which they had defiled it. In other words, they were worshiping idols. They brought them into his presence. And we know that idols are of the false gods. I scattered them among the nations, and they were dispersed through the, through the countries in accordance with their ways and their deeds. I judged them. 
But when they came to the nations, wherever they came, they profaned my holy name. They continued to profane it. In that, people's, uh, in that people said of them, these are the people of Yahweh. And yet they had to go out of his land. But I had concern for my holy name. There's that importance of God recognizing you do not defile my name, my character that it represents. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. And now we start to see, that you're going to start to see some hope. God is, is, is developing this understanding of hope here. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says Yahweh God. God is Elohim. It means mighty one. It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, for, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name. In other words, the absolute other than common nature of it. It is not like any other name. It's absolutely set apart, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am Yahweh, declares Yahweh God. When, you, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. How is he going to vindicate his name? Let's take a look. Only God could do what he just now performs. Let's listen to what he performs. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. And he did that. He returned the people. He even had the superpowers declare, oh, yeah, these guys need to go back. Cyrus, he declares this, this pagan uh, superpower king. He says, yeah, send them back. These, all these people need to go. Come on. Who changes the hearts of the king, according to Proverbs 1? Our God is the only one that can do that. He got glory because he did what no king could ever do and command all the other kings, give my people back to me, bring them back to the land in order to reestablish my name and show it as holy and set apart. He continues on, and this is where the hope stirs up because now he's moving all the way forward into the new covenant. Listen to this in verse 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart. That's what Jesus Christ has done and made possible by his death and resurrection. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. We have the Holy Spirit now indwells us, and we have a personal spirit. Our spirit desires God and set us the desires to be the king of our own uh, lives. And I will put, excuse me, I will put, uh, let me, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. There's the Holy Spirit. Notice the S there. And cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. I will say this one comment about did this, did the, 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 that part of it, the new covenant, ever happen to the Jewish people? Yes, it did. It happened on Pentecost. All the people came back to celebrate what they were supposed to celebrate. And what does he do on Pentecost? He opens their eyes, and it's the only place we see the Jews coming in great numbers. And then they unfortunately turn on God. And they don't want to be a part. And the leadership gets them all to say, no, this is not 
This is not true Judaism. And we find that the Jews in history turn away at, um, as, as far as the, the masses turn away from the true church, the true God, the true religion that, that they were called to worship, the, lead, the, the king of which was Christ Jesus. All right. So we've seen that there is a turning away, a profaning of the nation. But now in point number three, carrying Yahweh's name to the nations. Matthew 6, 9. This is the Lord's Prayer. What you are praying, if I might sum up what we said in the longer version of the, in our catechism response, is this. Jesus calls us to pray in such a way that our ability and faithfulness to carry the name of God would return in fullness. Remember, the, the, the Jewish people just fizzled. They faded and fizzled. May it never be true of the covenant people of God. And I will say this to you. Not only do we pray it, but we have the person of the Holy Spirit that affirms that it will take place. But I'm telling you, you and I can still fall at times. We can get so sucked into our own sinfulness that we start to profane. And what God will do, God will allow the confusion you bring to his name as you defile it. He always punishes, he always disciplines, is the better name, a better wording for Christians, in the manner in which we commit the sin. You bring confusion on his name, take a look at your life. Watch the confusion God will allow in your life as you defile and defame his name. Things don't work out so well. Things don't make, well, I'm a Christian. How could this be? It's not to say that those that are godly people don't experience suffering, but they don't experience suffering because of their own sin. So we continue on here. When we are praying, hallowed be thy name, you're saying cause your name to be active, excuse me, accurately and effectively carried by me. Every time you say that prayer, that's what you're praying. It's the continuation of the third command. Jesus instructs us also how to carry out this mission of carrying the name. He doesn't leave us going, can you give me something tangible? Can you give me an example? I'm the guy that needs the example. I don't, you know, I need concrete examples. If you try and tell things to me sometimes, I need you to, I'll say, hey, can you say it a different way? I'm not sure if I caught that. Jesus gives us a concrete way. Take a look at this. He says in Matthew 28, 19 to 20, he says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father. Hmm, key there is name. Why are we using the name? Because the name represents the totality of the person. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Disciples are baptized in the name of the triune God because it is a way of marking them. He marks them out and says, you are mine. We just had four baptisms in the last four weeks. He is symbolically, he symbolically marked you. You can't see it. You need a black light. I'm, I'm being a little playful here. You can't see that the name. It's a, a picture of what he's doing. He's marking you out. This one is mine. Satan can have no rule over you ultimately. You can fall, you can trip, you can follow for a season, you can image his name, but God, you are God's and God will discipline you and bring you back if you are his. And you say, praise be to God. 
Not only, though, are we marked in baptism as God's, we are given what it looks like practically to carry the name. Think about the description. We are to make disciples. And you start with baptizing those that accept Christ. And then you teach them all that has been commanded you by God. That's what we do as Christians. We share the gospel. And hopefully, that person is able to stay in our lives. It's not like a Philip Ethiopian kind of thing where the Ethiopian is headed, headed back to his nation. But no, because you know this person, now you and the church continue to bring them up and disciple them and show them the truth so that as they learn, oh, I'm not supposed to do that. No, that makes the image of God look bad. No, that communicates a carrying of the name of a different God, not our God. Don't do it that way. Do it this way. And so by that, we are incredibly blessed. We have a God that loves us and graciously communicates clearly to us what is expected of us. Let me remind you of this, the takeaway once more. Jesus perfectly carried the name of Yahweh. Hebrew said he was the exact imprint. Amen. Amen. We mess it up all the time. He carried it perfectly. He demonstrated what it meant to be an image bearer. Jesus perfectly carried the name of Yahweh through his atoning death, excuse me, and through his atoning death made it possible for us to effectively carry the name of Yahweh to the pagan nations. And guess what? We live in a pagan nation. Don't think it's outside of the, the physical borders of this nation. Your neighbors are more likely to be pagans than they are Christians. It's the nature of the remnant of the true vine. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. We thank you for the third commandment. We love the, the law as David taught us to love the law, really as you taught us, because you were the one that could completely fulfill the law perfectly. And we thank you that not only do we have your example, we have your continued teachings on it in the New Testament that help us more clearly understand because it's more revealed in it. You are a good and gracious God. Please, by the, by the indwelling of the person of the Holy Spirit, continue to cause us to carry it in a way that honors you that communicates effectively the truth of who you are and the truth of the gospel that you, that you have brought through your salvation. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.